Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. You? Uh, not bad. Markets Good. are a little bit volatile. Yeah, but it's interesting when you look under the hood, I think. You know, we were talking about that um, a lot this week to see kind of what sectors are performing, what aren't performing, the kinds of companies that are being rewarded, the kinds of companies that aren't. And it's it's interesting, right? Yeah. There's a baton happening, uh, a baton pass. Yeah, it's a baton happening. pass, and it's not as smooth as... As it seems like when we watch the Olympics, for example, <laughs> how they can pass that baton. It'd be like if you and I were in a relay race and we had to pass the baton, it'd be messy yeah, as well, hell, there'd right? There'd be a few fumbles. That's yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's what's happening in the markets. Very interesting move, what's happening. We've got a great show today uh, to talk about what's happening in regards yeah. to moves. Yes, we're going to talk about markets, but let's get, you know, we'll have our, our chief, our deputy chief economist on board. He's going to talk about the big I word that we hear, that's the 2022 word of inflation. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about the global economy and how things are shaping up in this in this part of the pandemic and how you know what's the outlook for this? Is, are, are we going to get out of this pandemic this year or where are we headed? And then you know if we have some time, I want to chat with him about Alberta and how what's the opportunity for us in Alberta. But I think when you look at where the economic backdrop is and when we talk to when we talk to them about about what's that's what's going on, you kind of get a reflection of what's happening in the stock and the bond markets. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right, and so this so far, you know, you've got a couple weeks into the the new calendar year, and you come up with a uh, big change in the bond market. Well, you had a very rapid increase in the yield, right, on the on the ten year uh, bonds, and that has a ripple effect. And people don't appreciate the bond market. I get it. Everybody watches the stock market. You know, there is no public exchange for bonds, and so it's a little less transparent, but it has a huge ripple effect, doesn't it, on, on how other asset classes get priced. We were talking to a few of the uh, global bond uh, managers and institutional managers out there, and that move this in the first two weeks of this calendar year in the bond market, especially the 10-year U.S. Yep. Treasury, has been one of the biggest moves probably since the 80s. Oh, it's really aggressive, and it's not, it's not much. Like, we're talking about 25, 30 basis points of move, but it's against a backdrop of a 1.3% yield, right? Correct. So when you look at it on a percentage basis, it is pretty aggressive move. And that shifts what happens in the stock market. The right. bond market's a nice uh, kind of t- gives you the tea leaves of what's going to happen in the stock yeah. market. And the stock market comes out and says, wait a minute, we don't, we don't like certain sectors out there have high growth multiples. Maybe we're not going to grow as much or the risk that these companies are taking on and those who watch the index may not have seen the carnage in the market. Right. Because there have been companies in the last two, three weeks that are down 50, 60, 70%, and no one's really focusing on those companies. Um, mainly, they've gone up last year to numbers and, and valuations that were like, this is crazy. So it's nice to see that the markets are catching up to our, our thesis. Yeah, and, and let's just talk for just a quick minute, Faisal, about why that happens. So why, why as interest rates move up, do things like risk assets, those companies that you just referenced that maybe don't have any income, they've got no revenue coming in, right? They're great ideas. Um, why, you know, why do they get sold off? Yeah, they, they, they're, there's, so there's two parts. One is, do they have a, a 
some revenue coming in, is it growing? And if that's not the case, that's a problem number one. Right. And we heard about that in the tech industry. Right. That companies were being valued on potential, not on, not on actual revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Then you look at um, some of these companies that have negative profit margins. They're losing money yeah. just by, I call them zombies. Yeah. Here we go again. Or they're not even generating revenue yet, right? They're, they're pre-revenue stage. They're pre-revenue stage and they've gone crazy. Right. Or they're non-profit right. companies. Right. Right. And so let's go back to about around this time last year. I was adamant that there was a bunch of zombies. Yeah. And yeah, you called it. They're, they were, they were, they're dead companies to, in my view, but they're roaming the earth and people were thinking they're the best things since sliced bread and they got, they got run up and it makes, it makes it a very challenging market when you see companies grow by the amount that they did. And we're talking high double digit returns. Um, in some cases, 100, 200, 300% returns and people going, how come we didn't get that? They're feeling that, that FOMO, right? Yeah. And now you go, well, we got to stay disciplined. Well, the discipline kicks in this year, and they're getting decimated. Yeah, and so as, as interest rates go up, you think about it as a rational investor, you say to yourself, well, I could put money over here in a 10-year you know, U.S. government bond and get 1.7% this year versus maybe in the pandemic getting 0.5% for a 10-year, yep. right? A German bond even negative. Yep. So as those interest rates go higher, a rational investor says, huh, okay, well, I can, get, I, I can get more now for less risk. And so that, that, that mechanism right there is the ripple through other markets, right? And so you start comparing, well, if I hold this and I can hold an S&P company that's paying a dividend that when I was getting a half a percent on my bond and one and a half percent on my dividend looked very attractive, yeah. but it looks less attractive today, doesn't it, yeah. at a 1.7 on the bond and a 1.5 on a dividend. And so there's your mechanism where the, the bond markets and the and the stock markets, you know, have a relative trade that takes place and a, and a pricing mechanism. Yeah, and then you start to see different sectors. So let's That's talk right. technology stocks, broad base, not so good this year so far. Um, we looked at some of the subsectors in Canada, energy doing very well. Yep. Um, interest rate sensitive, such as the banks doing very well, financial services looking up, looking pretty good from a Canadian perspective at least. And then we look at some of the sectors like uh, real estate, not doing so well this year so far. Right. You look at uh, healthcare, which is the cannabis industry, not doing so well this year so far. But what was very interesting is consumer discretionary was pretty much even yeah. versus consumer staples, which was negative. Right. So consumer staples, let's talk product. Mm -hmm. Consumer discretionary, let's talk service. Right. Right. And so there's a change happening in the economy as people go back to work, as people start to live somewhat of a normal life, they're going to require different services outside the home than products when they were in the home. Yeah. And, you know, you could also look at the inflationary story and you could see, you know, we saw some retail numbers that indicate people are maybe pulling back a little bit on purchases because prices are higher. So maybe deferring some of those purchases. And that's a staple side yep. story discretionary side story, there's still lots of pent-up demand. There's lots of stuff that we haven't been able to do and our viewers and listeners haven't been able to do over the past two years that they want to do. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, they're, they're, that's, a, that's a baton hand, yep. hand, hand off right there. That's right? right. And that's where I think active management is going to be very important. I think there is a, uh, we are in a transition going from just buy the index and you'll be fine to, you know, it might be more of a stock picker's year this year. And yeah. so that baton, again, is also being passed from 
passive investing to active investing. Right. And this is where a lot of money managers who've been hugging the index are gonna get, gonna get hurt. Uh, this is gonna be a lot of uh, do-it-yourself investors who said, oh, I can make a lot of money in the last three years because I just owned the index or I owned a few of the basket of stocks and they've all run up. Right. Well, now what's the next rotation? Let's see. I think this year is gonna be very humbling for a lot of investors uh, and money managers who, who've just basically stuck to the index and haven't been able to drift and actually pick based on skill versus right. just on, on market analysis. Yeah, yeah, I think, that, I think that's interesting. But the, the last thing I wanna mention very quickly because we're running out of time in this first segment is, is the rotation. Um, you know, last year we had this tide lifted all ships kind of thing. 2020 was not that, you had to be pretty strategic. I mean, the tide did catch some of those ships for sure. This year is likely to be the same. And so it's interesting to to not just measure for a very small period of time, right? Success will, it, it's the track record over, I don't know, three, five years, 10 years, when you're looking at that, to be able to weather these different ups and downs, yeah. right? Because there is different, there's value trades, there's uh, growth trades, there's active, there's passive components, so on and so forth. Fascinating stuff, that's why I love my job. Faisal, one of the biggest questions that we get, um, and we're starting the year with that, headline focus is all around inflation. The I word, uh-oh. Yep. Yeah. And how's it going to impact me? And what do we mean? For, what does it mean from an investment perspective? And we've heard transitory, and now it's not transitory. What's going on with inflation? Yeah, and multi-decade highs. Yeah, seven percent in the U.S. Five point five percent core inflation rate right. in the U.S. Not seen since the '80s. Right. This is a problem. Well, or it is, is a problem. It? Or is it? Yeah. Well, it's a short-term problem at least, right? And let's get a sense. We want to get a sense of of where this inflation is coming from and how we should be thinking about it. Uh, and its longer-term impacts, and nobody better to help us with that than Benny Tall, who's the Deputy Chief Economist uh, at CIBC World Markets, our regular recurring guest. Benny, welcome back to the show. A pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so you heard our setup there. Um, I'd like to maybe just get your, uh, your initial thoughts on inflation. You, you talk to lots of retail investors like we do, and people are really worried. They're going to the grocery store, and they're paying more. They're going to fill up their car, and they're paying more. And as particularly retirees, people are worried that this is going to just destroy their retirement. So maybe just give us your, your take on, on inflation, where it's coming from. Yes, uh, that's the key question. And I think that we have to put things in perspective because when you are in a situation and we are in a situation, you tend to exaggerate the long-term impact of that situation. Same goes for COVID. You know, people thought about COVID as a condition. It will be with us forever. We know that will not be the case. Same goes for inflation. Now, it is true that nobody, nobody knows where inflation will be four or six months from now. And when I say nobody, I include the Bank of Canada, the Fed. Nobody knows. We are all pretending, but we don't know. And we have to face it because there are so many forces and we can discuss them. At the same time, we also have to realize one thing, and that's extremely important. At the end of the day, this is not about inflation. This is about how much the Bank of Canada and the Fed will have to raise interest rates to bring inflation back to where it belongs. You see, for decades now, the Bank of Canada and the Fed and the ECB in Europe have been building their reputation as inflation fighters for decades. They work very hard to do so. Believe me, they are not going to throw it away. They will fight inflation if there is a need. And they will raise interest rates. So the question is not whether or not inflation will be 7% a year or two years from now, but what it will take to bring it back to 2%. Because it will go back to 
the question is what will be the cost now if you if you talk about the sources of those inflation forces we have to see how much of it is related to covid and how much of it is more than that and the number one issue that we are all discussing is the supply chain issues yeah you cannot get anything and that's why prices are rising rightly so but this is important to understand this is not really a supply chain issue this is a demand shock you see if you look at what's happening in the u.s when it comes to consumptions of goods we are talking about a situation in which it is about 25 percent higher than where it should be why you press a button and you get your exercise bike it's very easy 25 percent more than it should be just to put it in perspective it's like parachuting 75 million Americans, new Americans, and the minute they land, they start spending. Mm. 75 million people overnight. That's what we are talking about. This is a demand shock for goods that you have to ship. Even a normally functioning supply system will have difficulties dealing with this demand shock. And of course, this is not a normally functioning supply system for obvious reasons. At the same time, you take COVID out of the equation and this supply chain issue will disappear. We have seen it before Omicron. It started to ease and then we had the Omicron story. And if I'm right or even semi-right, and by spring, summer, we'll go back to semi-normal, then you will see it easing. And that's exactly what the Bank of Canada and the Fed are telling us. Clearly, they misjudge how long it will take, but it doesn't mean that it's forever. The other source is wages, and we can discuss it if you wish. Yeah, Benny, can we, before we go into the wages topic, let's go back to that demand <clears throat> shock that you're referring to. How long does the shock last? Does it ever abate or does it continually go forward like this? Considering there's so much money in the sidelines that people haven't spent yet, so much money in people's bank accounts on both sides of the border, do you think this demand shock will, will, will abate? Demand shock for goods, you see? People are buying goods because they cannot get services. So they right, spend yes. their money on all kinds of goods. Now, the minute we open up, and let's assume, and again, nobody knows, but let's assume that by spring, summer, we are turning from a pandemic to endemic. I think it's a reasonable assumption. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, you know, we can pray, but at the same time, it's a reasonable assumption that uh, by the second half of 2022, we will be in an endemic situation. Namely, COVID will not disappear, but as a society, we will be able to function. If that's the case, you open up restaurants, movies, you know, everything. All this extra money that you're talking about will go to services. At one point, after consuming goods for two years, enough is enough. How much stuff do we need? Yeah. <laughs> what you need is services, experiences. Yeah. And this money will go there. Now, services you don't ship. There's no supply chain issues. So we might see prices rising in services, but clearly that will ease the pressure on the supply chain system globally. Then let's go back to now to wages. With all this happening, and we're seeing the quote-unquote great resignation in the United States, not much here in Canada from what I'm seeing in the numbers, but we're seeing and we're hearing more and more people are saying, more business owners are saying they have to compete with higher wages. Is that a permanent thing? 
or are they going to be more creative and not be able to have that kind of cost going forward? That's the key question. That's the question that if there is more inflationary pressure after COVID, it will be wages. We know that there was shortage before in terms of labor, before the crisis, and now it's all over. You cannot find people. Now, you cannot find people for many reasons. People don't want to get sick, therefore they don't go to work. People get government money, and therefore say, you know, we'll stay home and collect. A lot of things are happening that can change. Now, wages in the U.S. are rising faster than wages in Canada. Why? Because we have new immigrants. In 2021, despite COVID, we got 400,000 new immigrants. In the U.S., they got 500,000. Yeah. Now, the last time I checked, the U.S. is still 10 times larger <laughs> than we are. Yes. And therefore, relatively speaking, we are much, much more uh, except in terms of accepting new immigrants, this is a much more significant factor. So it's easing the supply of labor situation relative to the U.S., and that's why wages there are rising faster. So that's something to take into account. At the same time, still wages are rising. And the question is how corporate Canada and corporate U.S. will res respond. Of course, one response is to raise wages in order to attract people. But another factor is people say, you know what? The cost of labor is rising. I cannot find people. Mm -hmm. I have to start investing in capital. Mm -hmm. Until COVID, we were just uh, hiring people and not investing as much in capital. And therefore, you know, productivity was going down. I suggest that the response curve coming from corporations in, say, you know what? The share of labor in production is way too high now, too costly. Let's start investing in technology and we're starting to see it. If you look at numbers coming from the US, clearly investment and the um, purchasing of high tech goods and technology is there. Namely, they are investing in capital to substitute for labor. You said, if, um, uh, you know, we're talking about goods. How much stuff can we have? There's some point that, you know, we've just got too much stuff. We have a, an economy that's going to open and we're going to spend on services and experiences. Um, I'd like to start the conversation in this particular segment. If, if the demand for goods starts to ease because we've got what we need, economies open um, and we start to spend on services, we would expect to see, I think, some pricing pressure on demands come out, maybe some pricing... Uh, sorry, some of that pricing pressure on the goods come down, but pricing pressure increase on services. Can you give us a sense of where you think inflation's going over the course of this year and perhaps even a little longer as central banks try to bring it down and why? Yes, so we see inflation still elevated this year, mostly because of the fact that we are going to see the supply chain issues being resolved only in the second half of the year. So it will take a while. So we are uh, for uh, some increase in inflation and it will be about three, four percent, something like that. Nothing in the sky, but clearly above the two percent target. It can go even in 2023 above target. And the Bank of Canada and the Fed are telling you, listen, we are willing to tolerate higher than uh, target inflation, knowing that eventually it will go back. And if it doesn't, they will fight it with higher interest rates. So if I'm a 
thinking of inflation and worried about my retirement, I say the opposite is the case. Yes, inflation might be a bit higher in the next year or two, but then interest rates will rise to fight it. It will go back to two, interest rates will be higher, you will get more on your GIC if you want. So I'm not so concerned about inflation killing your retirement because that's not the 70s by any stretch of the imagination. And quite frankly, comparing the current situation to the 70s is not only wrong, but also irresponsible. It's not even close to what we are talking about. The Bank of Canada and the Fed are willing to tolerate higher inflation, and that's fine. We'll take it, but that's not a permanent situation given the history of fighting inflation and their credibility in the market. Clearly, service prices will rise, and the ability of the consumer to pay for them is higher because they sit on the mountain of cash that we just discussed. So that will lead to inflation in 2022, 2023, and then it will go back to normal 2024. That's more or less where we are. When you look at all these, the, these movements happening, the headline story is about interest rate rising. And the central banks, both in the US and Canada, going three, four, we've heard five times in some cases. What's your take on interest rate increases on both sides of the border? Do you think four or five times in the US, three, four times in Canada? Yes, I think interest rates have to rise because if I ask you, what is the most mispriced asset out there? And I will say cash. I think that cash is mispriced. I think we need higher interest rates. 25 basis points is emergency rates. Yes, we have Omicron, but there's no emergency as far as the economy is concerned. Right. The labor market is on fire. We cannot find people. Wages are rising. Inflation is rising. You need to raise interest rates. And if it was up to me, I would start now. Now, I know that there is a possibility that the Bank of Canada will start moving late this month. Right. Although we still be under the fog of Omicron, so maybe you don't want to do that from a PR perspective. So you wait until March or April. Now the market for Canada is pricing in five moves, five moves by the Bank of Canada. And I think that's a bit too much. I think it's too fast. We have to remember every economic recession right. over the past 50 years was helped if not caused by monetary policy error in which central banks raise interest rates way too much or too quickly. Go baby steps, go three times. The Fed now is priced in to go three times, starting maybe in March. So it seems that the Bank of Canada and the Fed will move more or less together exactly the way it should be. If you are the Bank of Canada, you don't want to divorce yourself from the Fed. We have done it before, it was not good. So three times, three times. What is the terminal rate? How high can it go? My guess, 2%. So 25 basis points, 2% over the course of three years. That's more or less where I see interest rates. When you look at that interest rates going up on, on both sides of the border in tandem, and if they don't, one thing that's talked about quite a bit by economists is the interest rate differential between US and Canada, which then reflects to the currency market. Where do you see the Canadian dollar versus the US with all these changes over the next 12 to 24 months? Yes, of course, as you know, predicting currencies is almost impossible. They have their own mind, but uh, let's try. So there are two factors that impact the currency at any point in time. One is commodities, the other is interest rates. Let's call the commodity market neutral. 
namely oil prices, uh, other uh, commodities. I don't see them going down dramatically, but I don't see them going up dramatically in this environment. They are elevated already. So for 2022, let's call it neutral. So you have the interest rate story really impacting the currency more than anything else. And here, again, remember, the market is pricing in five times. If the Bank of Canada moves only three times, that means that the market is pricing in too aggressive mm -hmm. interest rates trajectory, and therefore you don't get it, you lose one or two cents as far as the Canadian dollar is concerned. And that's basically what I see during the course of 2022. Yeah. Um, Benny, what do, so if we accept that interest rates are going higher over the course of the next three years, uh, and we don't know the path necessarily, how quickly they'll do it, but they're going to go higher. What does that mean from a global economic recovery perspective? Well, remember, interest rates are rising for a reason. They're rising because the economy is doing fine. So I don't see it as a major negative for economic growth. Remember, we have so much money in the system. This money will be spent in 2022, 2023. So this is actually a reflection of a strong economy, some inflation, and therefore you raise interest rates, and you really normalize interest rates. It's not going to derail the economy. It might have some impact on specific markets like the housing market that is extremely sensitive to higher interest rates and that's a good thing that's a good thing because we do need the housing market to stabilize so to me that would be a very positive development if we stop talking about housing for a while and that's something that i'm ex you know I, I really would like to see so i think that interest rates will be rising but it will be a reflection of a strong economy clearly a stronger european even chinese economy and clearly not American economy, with some impact on local markets. The question, of course, is what does it mean for equities? And therefore, given the fact that valuations are so high in the US, any increase in interest rates will have an impact on valuations. And therefore, I think that 2022 will be more kind of choose your own stocks as opposed to the market as a well. whole. And Benny, we've got uh, I want to ask a question, but we've only got about a minute and a half left. Um, you're bullish on, on Alberta. Can you, can you give us a high-level sense of why that is um, in a minute and a half? <laughs> well, I'm bullish uh, on Alberta because Alberta is starting from an extremely low level of activity. So yeah. Alberta will outperform the rest of uh, the economy, economically speaking, not because it's so great, but because it's starting from a very low base. The oil market is elevated. It might remain elevated. I don't see a major correction in oil prices. Uh, productivity is rising there. We don't see hiring happening there, but we see more and more high tech going into Alberta. We see green activity going to Alberta. I think that Alberta will lead the country in terms of green activity. To me, from a long-term perspective, when you're desperate, you actually do good things. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Okay, thank you for that. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for giving us your perspective and giving some context to this idea of inflation, interest rates, and the impact on the global economic recovery. We appreciate your time today. A pleasure. Thank you. Faisal, it's interesting. when We often talk throughout the week, as we do, and look for common themes. Yeah. Right? One of the things we identified, um, not just this past week, but over a couple of weeks, is fear around this idea of fixed income right, versus flexibility. So if I retire and I've got my pool of capital, right, I, I don't want to live on a fixed budget. That scares me. I want flexibility. I want to be able to, you know, if I, I see a good trip I want to go on and it's a little bit more than my budget, can I do it? That, and it manifests itself in a number of different ways, right? Yeah. You've had conversations with 
with clients, and I have as well. And there's there's they're different conversations, but they end up sort of in this same place. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. In at the beginning of every year, people start looking and forecasting what their spending will be on. And then you get the responses, at least we do, from clients and listeners and viewers of our show about what their thoughts are for the year. When we have conversations, they kind of fall into two different camps. And I call it the Dave and Faisal camp, okay? Because you and I, on how we see finances, come from different disciplines, yet we work together for the same objective. And and how I explain it to our clients, and I'll explain it to our listeners today, is... um, there are two different types of individuals. One who has structure, which gives them empowerment, mm-hmm. and one who prefers flexibility or, or freedom, which gives them empowerment. Right. Either decision is still empowerment, but it depends on the individual based on a whole bunch of factors like how you were raised or what kind of mm-hmm. experiences you've had when you were employed to what your family situation is like, a whole bunch of different variables to come out. And the, 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 the situation that I explain to our clients is, let's say you need $8,000 a month to live off of in your, in your retirement. Now, you can be the Dave Popovich, and you can live on that $8,000 a month, and God forbid you go too much the next month. <laughs> Let's say you spend $9,000. Yeah. Knowing you, Dave, I know that if you spend 9000 in January, come February, your budget's going to go down to $7,000, so you can average out your $8,000 a month budget. You've been talking to Maddie. Yes. This is, this is part of the pet peeve both of us have about you. You're too focused on that number, and that's that gives you empowerment. Right. That, control, that, right? That gives you control. Right. For me, I'm opposite. The phasal way of I, I like doing it is just tell me what my freedom within boundaries is. Can I go up to $10,000 a month or can I go less than $8,000? Absolutely. As I continually go at $10,000, what am I giving up? Right. And that's usually something in the future that I'm, I'm taking away. Is it a legacy for my family? Right. Is it, is it a, you know, a, another trip that I want to go on to? Is it maybe health care that I, you know, there's something I'm going to be giving up if I spend more today. Right. But I want to know that so I can make the decision on a value based upon what I'm purchasing. Right. That gives me freedom within boundaries and I don't have to worry about the next month. God forbid I got to start cutting my budget to go down to $7,000 a month because I spent $9,000 a month. <laughs> This. Like that, that to me is just crazy. Like you'd be a great finance minister. <laughs> no, I'd cut all the services. But, but you'd have a great balanced budget. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's true. We I think you'd be the first finance minister that has a balanced budget. I think in my lifetime, the way that you'd do it, right? So. I think when we look at that, that's we've got these two different types of people, and when you're in the opposite camp, yep. if you prefer freedom and flexibility, but you're you're being told by your advisor you have eight thousand dollars a month, you have to live on that every single month, that that can be intimidating. Yeah, and and and, it, and it's not the truth, right? I, I think you, you you struck on a very interesting chord about the empowerment piece, but the fact of the matter is, in retirement, nobody lives on a fixed income. Right? I, I, you may think of it that way. You know, and, and, and let's talk <clears> about, <throat> there are individuals, many Canadians are, are living on certain types of income. Let's talk old age security, Canadian pension plan, maybe government income supplement, and that's their, that's their life. Yeah, sorry, so I said that That's wrong. a fixed income. So yes, yeah. you're, you're yeah. stuck with that. So any yeah. impact of inflation or higher cost to anything will take an impact to you. Now, that's a certain percentage of the population. There's a, another percentage of the population that has 
additional savings to give them the lifestyle they have been accustomed to through their working years, so they're not 100% dependent on CPP, old age security, and if they are in that situation, government income supplement. Yeah. Now, when you have these savings or this money set aside for the retirement, now you have, you're not on a fixed income. Yeah, I, was, I, I meant to say fixed lifestyle, right? Um, and because we can bring it back, because you're right, there are, there are fixed sources of income, that is true, but the fixed lifestyle, is I think uh, how I would rephrase that, right? And and continue with that thought because I think I think I know where you're going. Yeah. So when you when you have this type of 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 saving, you are one of the selected few in this country that have retirement savings where you yeah. could enhance the lifestyle above and beyond old age security and CPP. Right. Okay. So you're now in the fortunate group of this country. Now you're in that group and you want to you're, you're calling yourself on fixed income. No, you're not. You don't have a fixed income. No one's telling you you have to spend $8,000 every single month and you can't go one penny over yep. because you have the flexibility to spend $7,000 the next month. You have the flexibility to spend more than $8,000 yep. because you can then make that decision of what the what the opportunity cost is for spending more right. or spending less. Right. You have more choice. Right. Yeah, and, and you know it, it, when we speak to people like my personality, right, um, control is one thing, but... But if it gets taken to the point where I can't spend a penny more, right? Your your and my process would be the same, but I would have a shorter time horizon in which I would balance that budget over time. Correct. Right? But I think it is important to say that for those that, again, have more than just those fixed sources of income, and even those with fixed sources of income, you can adjust lifestyle. Okay, spend a little bit more this month, have take a little bit away next next month, and and balance the budget that way. What's important to know um, is in the conversations that I've been having, okay, for those that have uh, savings that they're going to be drawing on, it's it's about the timing of those savings, and there is very little that if you overspend, if if it's me, right, I overspend on that eight thousand in a month, the implication isn't tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not a month from now. But it's interesting, Dave, that at the beginning of the year, our clients, some of them, our listeners, some of them, come to us, and that's their fear. No, no, for sure. Like sure. I, I don't. I've got these expenses coming up. I got renovations. Right. I, we're going to open up. We're going to be spending. I'm going on a trip, Faisal. I'm going to be spending money. I, I'm going to go on two trips. Last year yep. I didn't go on a trip. Yep. And this year I'm going on two trips. That's more money. Yep. That's, so now I'm worried that if I spend all this money, what's going to happen to my retirement? Right. Or my kids need more money. Or whatever additional expenses I wasn't planning on. Or when I start to think and dream. Yep. Oh oh, I'm in trouble. No, you're not. Right. No, you're not. It just takes requirement of a little bit of planning. That's right. A bit of strategy. Reduce your taxes so you have more capital. Yep. And you got you can do it. Yep. And so that's the ongoing conversation you need to have with your with your retirement team. Right. Because this is a retirement goal you have for this year. Right. And I think that's where I feel bad for people who come to me and say, I'm worried because I, I, I might spend more than, I, than my retirement plan says. Yep. If your retirement plan says you can only spend $8,000 a month and you can never spend a penny more, right. that's a different conversation you need to have with your retirement team. Yeah, yeah, because that is not the, that is and, not and the case. And we don't produce plans like that. Yeah, it's not the case. There, there is a range, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there is a range that you can always operate within, and I think that's, um, I think that's a critical takeaway of this conversation. And again, four or five different conversations with different people, Sort of different angles to it. The conclusion, all the same. Yeah. Right. There is a freedom within boundaries, and there's empowerment. That's no right. matter which way. If you're Dave Popovich and his spending yep. style, or you're Faisal Carmeli and his spending style, 
There's empowerment in both of those. Pick what works for you. Work with your retirement team. Have that conversation, and you can you can actually have a great 2022. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so we've got to help people not just have a great 2022. Yep. Right, but this is an ongoing process, and I hope people take that away from the conversation we just had. Decisions today can have implications later. Okay, and, and, and planning we do for later can have implications today. So it's a dynamic process, and we got to talk about that. Yeah, so if you look at that dynamic process and you look at some of the biggest concerns that people have, number one, can I retire? That's right. Number two, will I run out of money mm -hmm. because of my lifestyle spending? Mm -hmm. Number three, all this talk about inflation, how's it going to impact me? Number, f number four, what about taxes? Right. We know taxes are going up. I have yet to meet somebody from a government or from any type of economist or analyst saying taxes are going down. Right. Haven't met one yet. And number five, healthcare. We are going to age and we will need more health services. And we, we feel, and a lot of our clients feel, it's out of pocket. Right. Now, when you have all these issues and you want to leave some money behind in a legacy for your family, you have all these concerns how do you bulletproof that with all these different goals and objectives? Yeah. Well, we've got that solution. We've got that strategy, that structure, and that discipline. And we're going to talk about it on Tuesday, January 18th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.